as we're finishing up with Elijah and Elisha today, we started with Elijah. We got to see him at his lowest of lows. Then we've been following Elisha and how he accepted the call that God's put on his life and how he was used to do some incredible things. And now is what we're, what we're gonna look at in 2 Kings chapter five. We're gonna see that Elisha has developed a reputation for helping others. As a prophet, people would go to Elisha for all kinds of different reasons. God would send Elisha to people in different areas for all kinds of reasons. The story we're gonna look at specifically is a story about a man named Naaman. And even though we're studying Elisha, Naaman's really the focus of this story. Elisha has a part in it, but mainly we're focusing on when Naaman goes and meets Elisha. But let's set up a little bit and see what we know about Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Here's what we learn about Naaman. We're told this. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. We get a good picture of who Naaman was. He was a great man, powerful, prestigious, had a great reputation, had won all these battles, was seen as victorious. His, his king thought highly of him. In fact, here Naaman is told like he's probably one of the top, top rulers underneath him and just an incredible man that had done so many great things, had accomplished so much, job security, good job, his job was looking up and to the right. Like everything about Naaman's life was great until this happened, right? There's all these great things about Naaman, about his life, but he had leprosy. So for a man like Naaman to say, man, life was good. I couldn't imagine it getting any better. Things are looking up. Things are looking great. My future is set and secure until he got leprosy. Until. We could say the same thing, couldn't we? Man, the year 2020 was going well. It was going great until something happened. We say that in each area of our lives where we wrestle with the untils. Man, my marriage was really strong and we were going in the right direction until. I'd really gotten a handle and was kicking my addictions until. Financially, we were doing well. We were set until. Man, my job was going great. It looked good until. I had parenting all figured out until. You could go through relationship after relationship, environment after environment, situation after situation. We all at some point deal with an until. Things were good until it wasn't. Things were fine until something changed and something happened. What we're going to study this morning out of Naaman's life is for anybody that is wrestling with an until. Where you say, man, things were going okay until... And now you find yourself in the midst of that. If you don't currently have an until, wait until it happens. It's going to happen very soon, <laughs> probably. We all have those, don't we? And what I, I know you probably know this, but I want to say it out loud because we're going to see Naaman struggle with this too, is when we're faced with one of those untils, things are good until, and when that happens, you've got a very big decision ahead of you. Does the untils push me towards God or does it push me away from God? Do I run towards God 
Or do I get flustered and frustrated and disappointed and discouraged and upset so then I turn and walk away from God? That's what we're going to see Naaman wrestle with, and I know it's the same thing that we, we wrestle with as well. My hope and my prayer is, again, not just that God would fix everything, but that we would follow him. He is good and he is faithful. Can we follow him even in the midst of those untils? So let's pray for that. God, we come before you and, and you know our hearts, you know our situations, you know our world. And it's easy to follow you when things are good and fine and great, but until something happens, we don't always wrestle with, with how to follow you in the difficulties. So whether we're wrestling with an until today or whether we will deal with them in our future, maybe we're still healing from some in our past, may we, in our heart and in our mind and in everything we think, say, and do, move towards you regardless of the situations around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's Naaman. That's a, a good introduction to Naaman. Great man, great, great warrior, was was viewed as powerful and prestigious until he had leprosy. So just like anybody would, when you deal with one of those untils, one of those problems, you try to fix it as soon and quickly as possible. That's exactly what Naaman did. He started, and you can read the rest of that part of the story, where he figures out, well, this man Elisha supposedly helps people and can heal people, and he's done miracles. This God supposedly works through him, so I'll go to him. If I can get to him, then maybe... This problem for him, leprosy, would be fixed and taken care of. So he does that. That's where we're going to pick up the story. Verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, it wasn't, if you read through the verses prior, it wasn't just horses and chariots. He's bringing gold. He's bringing silver. He's bringing clothing. He's bringing all these treasures with him in hopes that that would be enough to offer to this man of God, to offer to Elisha and say, come on, you... Surely you can fix my problem. Everything was good until I got leprosy. So can you change that? Can you fix that? So here, Naaman brings all this stuff to the door of Elisha. Here's what happens next. Verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. How many times? That's important. We're going to come back to it. How many times? Seven times. Pretty simple instructions, isn't it? It's one sentence. He shows up and Naaman says, I've got this big problem. I'll pay anything for you to fix this problem so I can get back to my normal life, get back to the way things were. So here it is, Elisha, what do I do? And this is hilarious. Elisha gives him simple instructions, a one sentence prescription for his problem. But here's the kicker, yes or no, did Elisha actually talk with Naaman face to face at this point? No. No, it says, when he showed up at the door with all of this stuff, verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say this to Naaman. So here, Naaman is not used to people sending a messenger to talk with him. He's like, no, no, I'm like second in command. I'm a top a top ruler to the king, and, and I've got authority, and I've got power, and I've got reputation. Don't you know who I am? But Elisha sends a messenger out. That would be like us traveling all the way to a specialist downtown. I know it's hard to fathom driving downtown. It's not as bad nowadays, is it? 
You drive downtown and you get there and you, you've brought all the money. I'm willing to pay whatever. I'm willing to do whatever. If you can fix my problem, I've made the trip. I'll pay the cost, but you need to fix my problem. And instead of this doctor coming out, what you get is the receptionist coming out. Now, that's no offense to any receptionist, but let's be honest. If I'm paying to see the doctor, I want to see the doctor. He's the one that's supposed to be able to fix my problems, not a messenger. So this messenger comes out and you had to know that that was an awkward conversation. Here, Naaman's banging on the door with all of this entourage and all this stuff saying, can you fix my problem? And then out walks this messenger. Uh, Mr. Naaman, Elisha told me to tell you to go just jump in the river seven times. And you would have to imagine that Naaman would not be happy with this. Like, no, 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 no. I didn't come here to talk with you, Mr. Messenger. I came to talk with Elisha, this prophet, this so-called man of God. So already... You could just sense that Naaman's not okay with how things are turning out. Verse 11, here's Naaman's response. Remember, Elisha told him exactly what to do. Don't miss that. It's easy to lose that in this story. Elisha answered his question. Elisha solved Naaman's problem in one sentence, gave him simple instructions. You want to get healed? Here's what you do. That should have been the end of the story, but it's not. That would have been the shortest sermon you've ever heard from me, probably, if it was. Verse 11, here's Naaman's response. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought, circle I thought. We're going to talk a lot about that. He says, I thought that he, Elisha, would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And are not the other two rivers of Damascus, aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off, and, and say the word with me, he went off in a rage. The instructions were not the problem. The instructions were simple to follow. Not saying it was easy, we'll talk about that. But the instructions themselves was very simple. But somewhere in this conversation and somewhere in this part of the story, Naaman lost sight of the real problem because he walked away. He came looking for a miracle and a way to be healed. He received that but ended up walking away completely. He turned and went away off in a rage. Sometimes the instructions for how to live and what to say and what to do and what's next, like those questions that we kind of constantly wrestle with, I'm not saying they're always easy. I'm saying they're mostly not easy. But it is kind of simple. I mean, Jesus made it pretty simple. Not easy, but simple. But even though the, the simple solution is there, we get, we get distracted, don't we? all of a sudden we kind of forget the simple instructions and what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to love others and love God and what it means to obey him. Somehow that gets pushed to the side and we end up getting all worked up and all upset like Naaman. We get angry and we even turn away completely. I've heard story after story of people that walk away from God because of something. And it's not because there's not a solution there. It's just, well, doesn't match up what we expected. That's what we see with Naaman. 
I want us to learn from this part of the story especially because there's two things that Naaman allows to consume him that leads him away from God because of, or because of this moment of the until. Everything was great until he got leprosy. And now he's in a place of instead of moving towards God and being healed, he moves away from God, missing the miracle, missing the whole reason he showed up at Elisha's door in the beginning. So I want us to watch out for the exact same things. So here they are. Watch out for unmet expectations and watch out for unchecked emotions. Unmet expectations and unchecked emotions. We're going to talk about both of these. Let's talk about the unmet expectations first. So here, remember, Naaman shows up to Elisha's door, has all the entourage, has all the stuff, says, Elisha, here's what I, I need you to do. Here's my problem. I've heard you can fix it. And Elisha doesn't send out, he doesn't walk on himself. He sends out a messenger instead. Remember those two words, I thought? Just because his expectations weren't being met, here Naaman gets so upset and frustrated and flustered to the point of being angry and even full of rage. Listen to his expectations. Nowhere were these stated. There was not letters that were exchanged back and forth between Elisha saying, here's how I'm expecting this to go. And Elisha comes back and says, no problem. Here's what I'll do. Here's what you'll do. No, it was Naaman showed up and just expected things to happen a certain way. Listen to the expectations. He says, I thought that Elisha would surely come out and stand with me. Instead, I got a messenger, so already strike one in Naaman's eyes. I'm powerful. I'm important. So I'm expecting Elisha to act a certain way. I thought that surely he would come out to me. I thought he expected that Elisha would call on the name of the Lord, his God. Remember, wave his hands over. Wave his hands over me, and then that just fixes everything. I'm expecting him to do something like that. And then he goes even further and says, and you want me to wash myself seven times in the Jordan River, Gross River, Further Away River? There's two great rivers right here. Like, that sounds like a better idea. So just because he got the answer, it wasn't what he expected. It wasn't what Naaman thought. And Naaman even got to the place that he thought he actually had a better solution. I don't need to go to the Jordan River. I can go to these other two rivers. Those are even better. He got so caught up in his own personal expectations. And when those expectations were not met, he got all upset. You can even hear how this grew. It started out with Naaman being angry. But as he talked through these things, it turned into rage. All because of his unmet expectations. Now here, I'm not saying that Naaman intentionally had all these expectations and had written out, here's what I think should happen when I show up to Elisha's house. I think we do the same thing to God, though. We, we don't necessarily show up with intentional expectations, but we do show up with God in our relationship with God with unintentional expectations. We pray to God and we expect him unintentionally to answer that prayer in a very certain way. And if he doesn't, well, God, you must not be there. We're asking God to fix a certain problem, and when he doesn't fix it in our timeline, we say, well, God must not care. Do you see what happens? We place certain expectations on God, and when he does not meet them to our standards and in our timing, we get upset. We get angry. Like Naaman, oftentimes, we're even tempted, or we do, walk away from God completely. Naaman had expectations that he placed on God through Elisha, and when they were not met, he walked away. And don't miss it, missing out on the miracle. 
So do you have some unmet expectations that have hardened your heart? Do you have some expectations that maybe you've unintentionally placed on God? And when he doesn't answer the prayer the way that you think, when he doesn't guide you the way that you're expecting, when you think your ways might even be a little bit better than his ways, are your unmet expectations keeping you from following God? Here's another way to ask that. Will you, or maybe even can you, follow a God that does not live up to your own personal expectations? Because here's the trap we can get into. God, as long as I do what you say, then I'm expecting you to, and we start filling in the blank with things. Things from us, not from scripture, right? God, I'm expecting you to, and then we fill in the blank. That expectation, when unmet, leads to a place of anger, leads to a place of rage, which is exactly what happens here. When our expectations are not met, it turns into emotions, which, again, he turned and went off in a, what was the word? Rage. So that was unmet expectations. Let's talk about the unchecked emotions. Now, don't mishear me. Emotions are not the problem. That's not the issue. Emotions are technically neutral. They're not good or bad. They just are. What we do with them, how we act with them, how we respond to them, how we allow them to lead and guide our decisions, that is either a good or a bad, a right or a wrong. So when I say unchecked emotions, I mean when we allow emotions to control us, emotions that we then follow instead of following God. That's when we get into trouble. That's when we start having a problem. There's an aviation term, and I was actually texting with a, a buddy of mine who's a pilot, and he was telling me a little bit about this. I'd done some research. I'm like, are you sure that's right? Like, is that, that's not exaggerated, right? And we were talking back and forth, and it blew my mind. The concept is spatial disorientation. And it is a big deal because it is a very dangerous concept. In fact, they teach this to pilots early on in flight school. Spatial disorientation is this. It's when a pilot is unable to determine the angle, alt alt altitude, or speed when flying. That would be pretty important to be able to know those three things. <laughs> if you're flying a plane, you need to know the angle of which you're flying, right? This way, this way, upside down, right side up. You need to be able to know your altitude. Am I too high or am I too low? You need to know your speed. But when visibility is low, it's cloudy, it's foggy, it's at nighttime, when your visibility is diminished in any way, pilots can have what they call spatial disorientation, which means you have no clue on where you're actually at. And if a pilot makes a decision based on feelings versus their instruments, bad things happen. Deadly things occur. In fact, I was reading through this, pilots can think that they're a lot higher than they are and unintentionally run into the ground. Pilots can be upside down and not realize they're flying upside down. That would be a problem. And I was texting, Damon, I was like, is that like you can actually be upside down or not? No, he says, absolutely. Spatial disorientation doesn't allow you to know what's up and what's down and what's left, what's right and where you are, which is why they teach pilots early on in flight school what do you think they are told to use instead of their feelings? What do they use? All the gadgets in front of them. All the instruments that say, here's how high you are, even if you don't feel like it. Here's the direction you're going, even if it doesn't feel right. Instead of a pilot relying on their emotions, they rely on the instruments. And again, especially when visibility is limited. Man, the same is true for us, isn't it? When we can't see very far ahead, when we can't see well, 
when the future is more and more uncertain, it becomes more and more important for us to rely on and follow God instead of just our emotions and what we feel. That's where Naaman was at, wasn't he? He felt angry and he felt discouraged and he felt frustrated and he felt like he was full of rage because of his unmet expectations. And he allowed those emotions to lead him, which ultimately led him away from God. So here's the question for you. Are you following God or are you following your emotions? Which is it? Am I following God or am I following my emotions? One of those leads you to God, obviously. One of those will lead you away from him. And at this point of the story, Naaman has missed out on the miracle because of his unmet expectations, allowing himself to be caught up in that, as well as allowing his emotions to get the best of him and leading him away from God. If that's how the story ends, he misses out completely on the miracle. Remember, the, the, the instructions were simple. Go to the Jordan River. But at this part of the story, Naaman has totally missed it. Here's what happens next. Verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, so he has gone off in a rage. Verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? In other words, Naaman's got some good people around him that are there to talk the stupid out of him. We all need that. <laughs> Naaman gets all worked up. I can't believe he didn't come out and see me. I can't believe he didn't wave his hands over me. I can't believe he's asking me to go in the Jordan River when there's two perfectly good rivers right over here. He's all worked up and all angry and all upset. So Naaman walks off and his servants, that entourage around him, catches up to him. Naaman, 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 calm down. Think about what you're saying. You came here to be healed. He gave you the instructions to be healed. They try to talk some sense into him. Now, I'm not saying Naaman totally got it, but he listened enough to turn around. It doesn't say that he was full of joy in this moment, and he was so thankful his servants, servants talked sense into him. But it does say, verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him, stood before Elisha, and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. See, Naaman had that crucial moment. We all face this, where it's, which way will I go? Regardless of what I think, regardless of what I would do, regardless of what feels right now, regardless of my expectations not met, regardless of my anger and other emotions, am I going to follow God or not? Who am I going to follow? Which direction am I going to go? And for his sake, he listened to his servants. He said, okay, I don't fully understand. I totally don't get it. Maybe I don't even agree. But Naaman did his best to put his expectations and his emotions aside and said, I'll do what he told me to do. And Naaman followed Elisha's instructions, followed with faith and also followed with obedience. I said the instructions were simple, but definitely not easy. Because I would imagine if I'm in Naaman's shoes and try to put yourself there as well, 
you're all worked up because of your unmet expectations and your, your just the emotions that are overwhelming, but you decide to do what you're supposed to do. Remember how many times he had to go dunk in the Jordan River? How many times? Seven times. So I would imagine Naaman, still kind of fuming, still kind of hot, still kind of bothered and, fl- and flustered and frustrated, because this isn't going the way that I thought this would go. He gets down in that Jordan River, and he goes under the water one time, comes back up, and I think he would look. Still nothing. This is a dumb idea. I have to do this seven times. I think his servants were over there probably coaching him. I'm like, no, it's seven. It's not just one. Keep going. So he goes under the water a second time, comes back out. Not even a little hint. It doesn't even look better at all. There's nothing, no improvement whatsoever. So he goes under the water a third time, comes back out, still nothing. And I think at this point, I don't think he would have said anything. I think he would have just had the look. Goes under a fourth time, comes back up. I think the fourth time is when self-doubt starts to creep in. I knew I shouldn't have done this. I knew I shouldn't have listened. I shouldn't have listened to those servants talking me to come back into and listen to that crazy man that told me to be in here in seven times. I'll just, let's just be done with it. I'll deal with it on my own. I think that happens at number four. But he went under again, number five. Comes back up. Number five, you're ready to walk away. I don't see any improvement. I don't see how this is gonna get better. This doesn't make sense. This is ridiculous. I look ridiculous. What if word got out that here I am, this major general in the king's army, and here I am going swimming in the Jordan River seven times because of some yahoo telling me down the street. Goes under the water again, comes up number six. Still nothing. If there's a point to quit, I think you quit at number six. Because you're expecting it to look a little bit better. You're expecting there to be some improvement. Oh, there's that word again. Expect. Expect. God, I've tried to obey the best that I possibly can, and why is my life falling apart? This is where we struggle with the good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people, because it's not what we would expect. If Naaman was going to quit, he would quit here. So close. Simple instructions but not easy. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're on number six. The hard part is we are not given a number. We're told to deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Not seven times, like daily. So whatever you're still dealing with, that life was good until, can I encourage you to keep being faithful and following Jesus and being obedient to him you never know, you never know what's going to happen next. For some reason, he decided to keep going. Number seven, and he comes out, and he's healed. Which, what's inter- interesting, though, is when he comes up out of the water, we don't have any record of him saying anything. Like, so far, we've heard Naaman talk a lot about all of the things that he didn't approve of and all the ways that he didn't like how it went down and all of his expectations and what he thought should happen and how it should happen. We've heard a bunch of that from Naaman. It was all about his healing and the expectations of how that would work. When he's finally healed, Naaman doesn't say a thing about his healing. He comes up after that seventh time, realizes he is healed, then look at this, first part of verse 15. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him and said, now I know that there is no other God in all the world except in Israel. 
Naaman had more than just a healing happen. His heart changed. It went from, remember he called God earlier, the Lord his God. Man, Elisha should have come out and waved his hands over me and called out to his God. Now Elisha, or now Naaman knows, no, this is, this is the one true God. And I know it without a doubt. Naaman was so concerned about the healing at first, but now he's just talking about God, the healer. And we learn something from Naaman. Yes, watch out for your expectations and your emotions, but we learn something else as well. We learn to follow God because of who he is, not just because of what he can do for you. Oh, don't miss that. Those are so very different. Follow God for who he is, not what he can do for you. If you're hoping God is just a fix a fix-it person, a handyman to deal with your problems along the way, you're missing the relationship between you and God. And you will be sorely disappointed when he doesn't meet up to your expectations. No, we follow him for who he is. See, regardless of what God does or doesn't do for you or for me, there's things we know. We know God is good. We know he is full of love. We know his timing is perfect and his will is perfect. We know his love doesn't end. We know that he gives grace again and again and again. We know that God wins in the end. We know that God is with us. We know that he will never stop pursuing us. We know that he will always be there for us. We know so many things about who he is. Not everything, of course. We know so much about who he is. That is why we follow him. So Naaman allowed his expectations and his emotions to get the best of him that led him away from God, physically away from God and away from the instructions that he had been given. At some point, he had to turn back around, didn't he? Put the expectations and the emotions aside and start walking faithfully and obediently back to him. Follow God for who he is, not what you just want him to do for you. So do you have some expectations that are keeping you from following God? Do you have some unchecked emotions that are leading you away from God? Let's pray through it. Father God, we come before you full of, full of doubt, full of struggles, full of those untils. Life was good until... And when we face those moments and those situations, and we will face many, many of them throughout our lives, may we remember to follow you for who you are, period. That we would walk towards you, we would run towards you, instead of allowing our expectations and our emotions to get the best of us. That we would surround ourselves with the right people that whisper truth in our hearts and in our ears. And I love the part of the story that even though Naaman was so upset and so angry, you still healed him as he followed after you. We all have a past. We all have a history. We all have things we're holding on to. May nothing keep us from moving towards you. Even when we don't see it, we trust that you're moving. Even when we don't feel it, we trust that you are working. Even when we don't understand it, we trust you because you are God and we are not. You are king and we are not. You are Lord and we are most certainly not. You are Savior and we are not. So we follow you for who you are, not for what you may do for us. In Jesus' name.